Good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend to each and every one of you. We are going to continue with the Way of the Wisdom series, part 26. If you do the math and you know there's 52 weeks in the year, that means that we have done a half year's worth of messages on the book of Proverbs, dealing with a lot of Proverbs. You realize they kind of add up. How long do you think we could really go? We could go quite a bit. And if you have been here for all 26, you should get a gold star on your little shirt, and congratulations to you. But perhaps you are like me. Uh, I missed the first five parts of, the, of this series uh, before I was here, but I've had the benefit of what we call a church website in YouTube where you can go and check them out. And so I was thinking that what a great way to do a Labor Day binge party tomorrow and watch all 26 series. Yeah? All right. Let me know how that goes. <laughs> Proverbs is undeniably an extremely practical book. It's full of sound and sensible answers for all kinds of life's complex situations. The 31 chapters that make up this book probably is the greatest how-to book ever written. I think that's a fair assessment to say about it. And for all of those who have the good sense of following and taking Solomon's lessons to heart, we can quickly discover that there is godliness, wisdom, success, and contentment are ours for the taking and ours for the asking by studying this book. So Solomon was the primary author of the book, and his purpose for writing it was to teach his children, and we know that Throughout the book, he uses the word, my son, my son, so to teach his sons how to fear the Lord and live a successful life. And I would say, actually, the only way to live a successful, successful life is to fear the Lord. So this is, pro, this is Solomon's agenda in writing this. And so here we are, part 26, friends. So through, though Solomon, he was a king, he had a greater calling on his life. And that was to be a dad. And he wanted to teach his children about the importance of having good, wise friends. And so I was thinking, for us, if you're a parent, if you're a child, a teenager, or if you're anyone interested in having friends, that this would be a valuable lesson for us to learn from Proverbs and Solomon on his teachings that he gave to his kids. Now, I think the word friend is a complicated word complicated because of all of the adjectives that get placed in front of this noun. I think I have a slide that just shows a small listing. Slide. There it goes. Yeah, and, and there, there are others, but I could only get the font so big to make, probably make it fit in here. Of all these little words that we put in front of the word friend, we have best friends, smart friends, athletic friends, sensitive friends, funny friends, loyal friends, sweet friends, sympathetic friends. Punctual friends, they're the worst. You know, and we got work friends, we got people that we play with that we call friends, our golfing, our hobbies, all these friends, and it seems that we always put this little adjective in front of the word friend. And if we're really being honest about it, we usually put one or more adjectives in front of the friends. Like, my, for example, my friend Jeremy. He's a wonderful, super-duper, brilliant, cool, amazing, caring friend. Friends are great. Friends hang out together. 
They share good times together, great conversations, the laughter, the sharing, the enjoyment of doing life together with a person or a group of people. Friends are great. Friends are valuable. Think of the most painful times in life. No doubt, sickness, tragedy, pain, and suffering, they're all on the list. Yet, oftentimes, these difficulties are made a little easier by the support of friends. Almost anything bad can be made a little better with friends. And almost anything good can still be a little empty without friends. Friends are valuable. And I think it's really important for us to distinguish this morning the difference between acknowledging being friendly and being a friend. It's a big difference for us. You can be friendly with a person and not be their friend. But you can't be their friend without being friendly. When you are friendly, when you're friendly with somebody, you're going to be polite, approachable. And I'd say for all Christians, for all people in general, certainly for all Christians, that it's really important for us to be friendly. Even to the people we don't like. Like there are some people who might just be that royal pain in the neck. They might be the jerk on campus. They might be the big buffoon at work. And yet, it is possible for us to be friendly to them, put on the smile and be friendly with them. But a friend, that's different. A friend is someone with whom you build a close relationship. It's someone you like and you enjoy spending time with them. Like you make a conscious effort to be with them and to stay in touch with them. And the feeling is mutual, back and forth. And in our social media age that we live in, it seems we have come to think that of everyone that we have an interaction with is a friend. And this might seem harmless at first, but really it highlights a growing problem. The inability to tell the difference between a friend and someone who is being friendly. 2.3 billion people use Facebook. Are you one of them? Some hands, just a few. Uh, not bad, right? And I would say, if you do use them, that it is likely that you have been labeled to have a Facebook friend, and you might not even know the person at all. But they're your friend? Well, that is not a friend. One billion people use Instagram. Now, young people, Instagram? One people, billion, use them? And on this site... They don't use the word friend. They use you are either following or being followed. And anywhere else, that would be really creepy. You'd probably call the police. But here, we do this. And often what happens on this type of, on this type of uh, media platform is that lots of emotional energy gets spent. And we try to have this following of our favorite actor or favorite athlete or musician or American Idol contest winner. And then we come away saying, oh, that's my friend. Uh, that's not a friend. 280 million people use Snapchat. And if you are a person who does that, every time you add a contact to your Snapchat list, you are really, according to their classification, you are adding a friend. But the reality is, you may not even have ever spoken a word to that person. It seems that we are deceived by social media, imagining that we have 
hundreds of spectacular relationships. When in reality, we might have an acquaintance, we might have a well-wisher, or we might just have a stalker. And it seems that we have very few flesh and blood friends, deep friendships. I'm reminded that technology does not make friends. Techniques make friends. Techniques that are taught from the book of Proverbs. And depending on how you define friendship, the Bible might have more to say about friend friendship than it does about marriage friendship and parenting friendship. So again, if that's the case, this is a worthy Proverbs for us to consider when it comes to friends. So here it is, outlined today, five parts, part 26, friends. All of these points are found in the book of Proverbs that I would like for us to look at. Good fr friends love at all times. Fake friends are fair-weathered. Good friends are robust in accountability. Fake friends are wimpy at it. Good friends are honest about their sins. Fake friends hide it. Good friends are trustworthy. Fake friends are gossips. Good friends focus on the inner being. Fake friends focus on the outer being. So here we go. Number one, good friends love at all times. Fake friends are fair weathered. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a difficult time. A friend loves and loves at all times. All times includes, obviously, the good times and the bad times. A good friend is dependable and loyal. A bad friend is fair-weathered. Fake friends are around when times are good, but as soon as things get hard, as soon as the money drives up, drives up they are like, see ya, I'm out of here. Proverbs, excuse me, Luke 15, the prodigal son. If you remember that story at all right there, right? The prodigal son, he leaves his father's house and his pockets are full of money. And he's on his adventure to go live the life that he wants to live. A life of entertainment, a life of women, a life of party life with all of its trimmings that go with it. And his friends were right there with him as long as he was buying. But as soon as things got hard, as soon as it all went away, they were no longer around. They are fake friends, but a loving, faithful friend is there when life falls apart. And it's often in these hard parts of life that we really find out who our real friends are. You ever heard that country song? Find out who your friends are. But I'm telling us that Proverbs, thousands of years before Trace Lawrence ever started singing about it, Proverbs already told us who our real friends are. You find out who your friends are when there's something in, your, in your, something in your life falls apart. A marriage ends. A job is lost. There's a death in the family. Physical harm. Good friends are there in times of need. Great example given to us in the Bible is David and Jonathan. 1 Samuel chapter 18 talks about a friendship that was made with a covenant. They sacrificed for one another. They looked out for one another. They defended each other's best interest. And they did all of this despite the fact that Jonathan's dad, King Saul, was trying to kill King David because God had appointed him to be the next king and not Jonathan. They were friends that loved at all times. Get to thinking about this. If you have one friend in your life like this, you are a very blessed person. 
to think that we'll have gobs and gobs of friendships like this, like David and Jonathan had. That's not even realistic. Even think of the life of Jesus. He taught and was around thousands and thousands of people. He takes 70 people and mobilizes them, picked 12 disciples to train, and out of that 12, he had three really good friends. A friend loves at all times. And so I would say to you and to all of us, boy, if you have one of those, thank God for one of those good friends. And if you don't have one of those, let's pray to God that he would send someone like that into our life to be this kind of good friend. Number two, good friends are robust in accountability. Fake friends are wimpy at it. Now, accountability is a buzzword in the Christian community, and it certainly is here at Good News. Like, it's no accident that Proverbs and Friends is happening at the same time that we're talking about community groups. Right, a little spoiler alert. We did that on purpose. Because accountability is something that is growing here in, at Good News. It started with the men, and now the ladies are on board, and all these groups are being formed on accountability groups. But in order to do accountability well, we have to know what it is. Accountability is being honest with a trusted friend. Probably not going to happen with a stranger. Trusted friend about our temptations, our sins, and the state of our heart. Accountability is being honest with trusted friends about our temptations, our sins, and the state of our heart. And Proverbs is pretty clear. We don't just need close friends. We need close, wise friends. That was the message Mario preached last week. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. We need wise friends because wise friends hold each other accountable in a very healthy way. But unwise friends, they don't care. It leads to destruction. Proverbs will say this over and over again. But wise friends, they do hold one another accountable. Proverbs 27, 6. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy. But the kisses of an enemy are excessive. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, did we read that right? Shouldn't it be the other way around? Like the kisses of a friend are trustworthy? And the wounds of an enemy are excessive? That's what you would expect it to say. Right? How many enemies give you a kiss? No, they give you a blow to the nose. And so here we got this verse, but it doesn't say that. And that's because every one of us needs a friend not to be a flatterer, but to be a refiner for us. In other words, friends can't be wimpy when it comes to accountability. Wimpy accountability looks like this. You get together with your accountability partner or your group and you confess your latest blunder, then your friend, he confesses his sin too, and you pat each other on the back, and you say everything will be okay, and you go home just as unmotivated as ever to do anything about your sin, and then the next week your group meets again and does the same sad story again. That's wimpy accountability. That's just getting something off your chest. That's, that's cheap grace. And I would say that the Bible's teaching, Proverbs' teaching is no wimps allowed when it comes to accountability. But in a robust accountability, 
when a friend wounds your pride, and he or she will, it's not intended to harm you, but to help you. When you need a new heart, you don't ask the pharmacist to give you pain medication. That only masks the problem. You need a heart surgeon to cut you open. Do you feel the hurt in that rebuke? Oh, you better believe you do. But because it's a trusted friendship, you understand that the wound is worth receiving. Oh, that's robust, strong, vigorous accountability. In Christian circles, I think we would use, that is spiritually mature accountability. Proverbs 27, 17 explains spiritual mature accountability like this. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's because on our own, we become dull, blunted, and we lose our edge. And how does iron sharpen iron? I'm going to show you. <laughs> Children, ask your parents before trying this at home. I have gotten permission from my boss to do this. And if, uh, we'll see. How does iron sharpen iron? Whoa. How does iron sharpen iron? It sharpens it with friction. And it makes sparks fly. And the point here of Proverbs is when we are going to be accountable with this kind of, in this kind of way, it's going to make a sharp edge that is useful to you. And it is going to be refinement over flattery. If all your friends tell you what you want to hear, hmm. Growing in Christ as a Christian means we get to the place with a trusted friend where we don't shy away from hard conversations. But we wisely confront one another. We confront a friend. We confront sin in a way that's done without condemning, but it's done for the glory of God. And this kind of accountability a friend expects your life to change in its character. Have you ever asked anyone in your life, hey, would you help me get a little sharper for Christ? Hey, would you help me with the blind spots in my life? If you don't think you have blind spots in your life, man, you are, whoa, that's pretty prideful. We need friends who fight sin together. And we need friends who are robust in their accountability together. And so again, here at Good News, as Mario so eloquently said in his uh, announcement this morning, 
we don't just push group studies, Bible studies, accountability groups, community groups on you and have say, hey, add this to your already slammed full busy calendar. We do it because we believe it's actually a biblical way to grow in your relationship with Christ and with each other, which is exactly what God commands us to do. Number three, good friends are honest about their sin. Fake friends hide it. Proverbs 28, 13. The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. I feel like what's coming next is directly aimed at, where was it? All the men in this room and across the universe. And so ladies, feel free to listen in if you want, and I'm sure it is going to be applicable for you as well. But men, when it comes to accountability, there are all kinds of games that we try to play to avoid real accountability. For some men, it is flat out an absolute defiance and avoidance. There is no way, no sir, ain't no way I'm going to ever discuss my personal sin. We'll talk about hobbies, the weather, politics, sports, movie, the family, keep everything right there on that surface level. But when it comes to talking about my personal life, my personal sin, uh-uh, shut the lips, lock it, throw away the key, it's not going to happen. I plead the fifth. Guys, play that game. Guys, play the we game, not the old video game, the we where it's a little fitness game. It is the we, the pronoun game. We get into a conversation with a Christian guy, and it somehow, miraculously, it's made it past the surface level, and he starts struggling, he starts talking about a struggle that he's having, and then he puts everything in the we category. You know how it is. We are really tired or stressed out, and, and we're hanging out online, and we see a picture of a hot girl, and we just click it without thinking about it. You know, sometimes we just don't have our defenses up. That's not a confession. That's like a, a justification, a compromise of sin. And instead, what Proverbs would teach us is this. Start your sentence with I. I have a problem. I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong. I sinned because Proverbs 28, 13 says, confess and renounce sin and you will receive mercy. How about this game, guys? Some of us might be pros in the worst ways of this. Nothing to brag about for sure. Some confess their sin to others, but they play the Wait a long time to tell game. They do something they know is wrong, and they want to confess it to someone, but they make sure they put a good week or so in between the offense and the confession. That way they can build up that nice track record of behavior so that their sins now seem somewhat less significant. I gave into the temptation. I did that. That's true. I've been real, but I've been staying really, really strong now for a long time. 
James 5.16. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. So in my notes, and I would recommend that you write it down as well, it is this. Don't delay in confessing sin. To delay is to disobey. And these games are dangerously deceitful. They bend the truth so that we don't have to be brutally honest with anyone. Men and everyone in this room, Proverbs is challenging us to crucify our image of pride and selfishness and go deeper with our friendships. Are you willing to give and receive honest confessions? Are you willing to pursue brother-to-brother accountability? I was absolutely blown away and floored this week when I read an article on on an accountability group. It was a group where each guy had installed on his computer and every handheld device that they owned, they installed a software program. And on a weekly basis, each man was given a report of every site visited online. Not only a report of where they were, but a report of what the guys in their group were as well. Do you think something like that changes the way you use the internet? Do you think they thought twice about clicking a button? What's going to happen when they meet together on Friday morning and they go, Hey, Mike, I saw it at 2.30 in the morning. You were Googling something about hot, sexy college girls. That's, 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 there's nowhere to hide. I, I think that's taking accountability group really, really seriously. I think that's trying to kill sin really, really seriously. I think that is trying to live together and and do life really, really seriously and to grow in Christ really, really seriously. Romans 14, 12. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. That includes Christian and non-Christians. And right now, this kind of friend-to-friend accountability It's like a dress rehearsal day for this coming day. It's not easy, but you drag your sin into the light before a trusted friend because we know that someday all of it is going to be exposed anyway. We are going to stand before the one who has eyes like fire. And he's going to be able to see everything inside of us. And so I think Proverbs would just tell us, get into the practice of doing accountability now. Number four, good friends are trustworthy. Fake friends are gossips. Proverbs 16, 28. A contrary man spreads conflict, and a gossip spreads close friends. I think it's really, really important that this point comes immediately after the last point. Because we need friends who will be confidential with the information that we give them. Like I meet with five other guys on Tuesday morning, and it is a confident setting. 
this is probably the Christian's version of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas mentality. It stays quiet in the group. We share in confidence, and it remains in confidence. And so the, the word that Proverbs would say is very clear. Do not make good, deep friends with a gossip. Don't do it. First Timothy, these kind of people were called busybodies. They were people who liked to be in the know. They were people who liked to be in the know about you. And then they liked to be people who shared all about you. Gossips. Be very wise. Be very discerning when you choose a friend to go deep with, to go below the surface level. And again, we cannot stress enough that when you are asking God to put these kinds of people into your life, that you ask him to put trustworthy friends in your life. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates friends. Here's another verse warning about gossiping friends that ruin relationships. But look at the first part of the verse. Whoever conceals an offense promotes love. Concealing the sin of a friend, keeping it quiet, keeping it down low, keeping it unknown from others actually promotes love and protection. I think that means that these friends, there is a time where you have to call it out and make it known and get the people involved the right way, and there's a time where no. It's quiet. Sometimes it's better to have it in silence, just known in your group. Sometimes what we need is empathy. Don't always need a sermon preached at us. There's a balance. It's not always sharpening iron by pounding and pounding on it. Sometimes there's a balance here between confrontation and compassion. There's a balance with patience involved. You have to realize that as we live this life, this spiritual journey life that we have, our physical life that we have, that there is a life that is going to be full of potholes of sin. Are you ever going to hit a pothole? Yes. Is it good to have a friend with you when you do? Yes, to help you. There's a long suffering that goes with being this kind of friend. And number five, Good friends focus on the inner being. Fake friends focus on the outer being. Proverbs 25. Counsel in a man's heart is deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. I think this is a real accountability at its best. I do. I think this is wow. A man's heart, who can know it? Jeremiah 79. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Like, why do you do what you do? Why? What really motivates us deep down? Why am I tempted by one thing or this thing and that thing? Why am, is my sin so attractive to this, but I don't have any attraction to this sin? Why is it like that? Our hearts are like deep water. And you can look down into that deep water all you want. You're not going to be able to see the bottom. But a man of understanding, this verse says is someone that helps you discern the motives of a heart. A man of understanding thinks deeper than just what you say and do. 
And he knows how to go deep because he has the wisdom of God as his help. Who is this man of understanding? What does what is, what is a man of understanding look like? Here's a slide for us. It's a summary throughout Proverbs that tells us what a man of understanding looks like. In Proverbs 2.3, a man of understanding knows that he lacks wisdom and is always diligently seeking more. 10.23, a man of wisdom finds pleasure in wise living. 11.12, a man of wisdom is quick to listen and slow to speak. In 14.29, a man of wisdom is patient and not quick-tempered. In 1521, a man of understanding doesn't find joy in the things of God that, that God calls foolish. And in Proverbs 17:27, a man of understanding speaks appropriately, including no slander, lies, or rude words. The book of Proverbs says we identify people of understanding by how they live. And these are the people that we need to be active with in our lives. So yes, in community groups and accountability groups and Bible studies, but also on fishing trips and golf courses and shopping trips and walks in the parks and coffee shops, everywhere. These are the kinds of people that should be putting their feet under your table and you should have them to your house. We hang out with these kind of people. There is a phrase that we use here at Good News, and it is from lost to leader. Like every one of us is on a spiritual ladder. Every one of us should be finding a group of people on that ladder that is under them and over them. Help those and be helped. That's the model that we want to have here at Good News and for your life, whether you're attending Good News or not. These sort of relationships, I get this, guys. They are not built overnight. I just had a conversation this week. Like, ah, I don't know if I can start talking about my sin. Ah, it's going to take time. They're not built overnight. But this is the goal that we need to strive towards so that we will be friends who know each other in a way that we would be people of understanding to each other. Start small and work up, but start. Break through the cliche stuff. Like, I think Sunday morning, just as Mario announced, Sunday mornings, you're probably not going to have deep, deep, deep discussions going on, right? But we've got to break through some of the cliche stuff in our accountability groups. How are you? How's the family? Push past the common trivial details. Sure is hot outside today. Well, no kidding. We live in Florida, and it's September. If you're a football person, you've already said it. Boy, the Gators looked good last night. Whoop. Stocks are up. What are we going to do about these gas prices? I mean, I get that there's a level of communication that we start with, but we have to go deeper. How often do you regularly express your beliefs, your convictions, your passions, your struggles? Proverbs is telling us to have relationships like that. And it's at these parts of the relationship that a little friction can start happening. Or, oh, he doesn't believe just like me. That's okay. That's the part that sharpens. And we get to a place 
with a trusted friend where we've gotten in a pattern of sharing and confronting and confessing and encouraging at a much deeper heart level. And together, we become men and women with godly understanding together. So there they are. Good friend loves at all times. Good friends are robust in accountability. Good friends are honest about their sin. Good friends are trustworthy. And good friends focus on the inner being. And it would be a big mistake to not end by pointing us to who Scripture points us to as the best friend of all. His name? Oh, we can do better. That was a question. What is his name? Jesus. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. That means the greatest friend is the one who laid down the most for his friends. And there's no question who this is. Jesus. To be sure, Jesus is more than a friend. But he's not less. He is the divine friend. Better than any other friend you will ever have. He is never a fake friend. But he always seeks out our best. He is perfectly loving all the time. He has never, ever failed at being a good friend. Who can say that? He is thoughtful and kind. He's slow to anger. He's not quick to criticize. He's not annoying. He's always trustworthy, never lets us down. Jesus is a faithful friend, best of all, best of all. He not only sympathizes and comforts us in times of trouble, he delivers us from our greatest trouble, sin. Not only does he speak the truth and handle conflict, but he has made peace through his blood. And he doesn't just make us better, he makes us new. What? A friend we have in Jesus. Remember that old hymn? Here's the opening lines of that song. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to him in prayer. Can you say that Jesus is your friend? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for giving Jesus and that he has made himself available to be a friend to all who call upon his name. I thank you that he saves us, redeems us, makes us new, changes us. Father, I just ask blessing on the movement of your kingdom. There is a continual 
humbling and that the lost are found and come to Christ. And oh Lord, I thank you for giving good friends, good wise friends, friends that love you enough, love me enough to not just let me go on my way. And again, Father, I would ask that you would have your way with this, uh, specifically here with our good news community, that you would provoke hearts to strive and to work, and it is work to have relationships like this, but that you would do that, Father, according to your grace, your will, and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.